go to John chapter 17, John chapter number 17, and uh, we've been going through this series. We've just got, I think, this week and next week before we, we head into the holidays uh, with uh, some messages geared for uh, the season, but uh, we've been talking about these journeys of faith, and we've talked about uh, Abraham, we've talked about David, we've talked about so many individuals that in their life, they, they took a journey of faith. We talked about some of those uh, things that God did in their lives uh, while they were going through that, times of testing and so on, and how they got the victory through the Lord. But today, we're going to turn our hearts toward the Lord Jesus, and part of the journey that he took, which really was uh, what the whole reason why Jesus came. And I want you to notice this morning with me in John chapter 17, verse 1, we'll begin and read down through verse number 5. And so if you have your Bibles, you can read along. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Boy, you talk about loading both barrels of the gun. There is some tremendous truth. Uh, you know, just, just one thought and before we get into our lesson this morning. If you look there in verse number 3, where the Bible says, This is life eternal, and that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Now, when God sent his Son into the world and instructed Mary and, of course, Joseph what they were going to name Jesus... What, did they, what were they told to name him? No, what, what is the name? No, they were to name him Jesus. His name is not Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus. Now, the word Christ, anybody know what it means? It means the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that had been prophesied about so even the very name that you see here, Jesus Christ. You see, he was no ordinary man. Uh, he was a prophet, but he wasn't just a prophet. See, so many people thought that he was a teacher. Yes, he was a teacher and so much more. And as we get into this lesson this morning, the journey we're going to look at is the journey to the cross. And to me, this is, a again, in, in one Sunday school lesson, I cannot do justice to what Jesus did and what he went through. So today's lesson is just to help us 
who are instructed by the Word of God to live our lives by faith and not by sight. That we can look at His life as an example for us to follow. Now certainly God, God is not going to ask us to die on a cross like Jesus did. But we can learn a lot from His journey that He took. And I want you to think about that as we look at this lesson this morning because as somebody said a long time ago, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? Think about that. Nothing ever occurs to God. God is omniscient. What's that mean? He's all-knowing. God knows everything. And when you think about God's omniscience, God is not surprised with the events that are going on in the world today. It doesn't surprise God. It doesn't shock God. I mean, a lot of times we'll watch the news and we're like, wow, I can't believe that person said that. I can't believe, you know, this person did this or whatever. Nothing surprises God. Look at Acts 15, 18. I don't know if I put this verse in your in your uh, outline, but if I didn't write that reference, Acts 15, 18, let me read it to you. Listen to this verse. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Let me read that again. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. In other words, there has never anything ever happened that God says, wow, I didn't know that was going to happen. I, I didn't know that. God knows everything, and when you come to John 17 that we're, we're looking at this morning, John 17 is probably one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. Why? Because it contains the, uh, one of the greatest prayers of our Lord Jesus Christ. We read a portion of it. Really, the whole chapter deals with Jesus' prayer. Now, remember, Jesus is the Christ. He's the anointed one. Jesus was God in the flesh. Now, now listen, if Jesus is God, how many of you believe that? Okay, if Jesus is God, then is Jesus omniscient? Because God is omniscient. And if Jesus is God, then when Jesus here in John 17, when he is praying, and by the way, before Jesus left heaven, he knew everything that was going to happen. How many of you believe that? You have to believe that. Because if he is all-knowing, then nothing that happened when he came to this earth happened where he thought, wow, I didn't know that was going to happen. So you see here Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. And I, I told the men yesterday, I'll never forget, Brother Roman, remember that? Praying in that garden. I remember those of us that went on the trip to the Holy Land we got together and we had a, a small, I don't know, devotional service, whatever it was, sitting in the midst of the garden. And then after it was over with, we, we were encouraged, just go find a spot like this and pray. And I remember getting alone with my wife in that garden. I remember getting on our knees and who knows if it was the spot or close to the spot, but I'll tell you this, that every day of our lives, we may not be in the actual garden of Gethsemane, but we can get on our face before God and we can come boldly into the throne of God's grace, just like Jesus was doing here. And listen, I believe that with all my heart. 
that we can do that. And when Jesus came in his omniscience, he knew the journey that he was going to take. What journey? The journey to the cross. See, he knew where life was going to lead him. We don't know. Listen, none of us are guaranteed of a tomorrow, are we? We, we don't know if we'll live a couple more days, a couple more months, years. We have no idea, but Jesus knew everything. And as you think about that, notice, first of all, that the journey to the cross was a planned journey. You know, the Bible's clear. God is a God of order. God plans things out. I think our lives, now again, I, there's a lot of times I might do something on the spur of the moment. But I think that our lives should be planned. You know, when you don't have a plan, you know what happens? Your life is chaos. You've got to have some structure to your life. And I know a lot of people that they really don't plan things out. But you know what God is? God's a planner. And Jesus' journey to the cross was a planned journey. Notice it was a personal journey that when Jesus came, look at verse number one again of John 17. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour is come. You know what that means? He knew when that hour was. He knew that that time was coming, that he would, you know, it's like us. We might make an appointment, maybe to get our car fixed or go to the doctor or whatever it may be. We, and, and, and we set something on a calendar, we put a reminder on our phone, because when that time comes, when that alarm goes off, when that date pops up, oh, I've got a, I've got a meeting, I've got, a, I've got a, an appointment to get my, my car fixed, whatever it is. This was Jesus' time. The whole reason that he came was not to live on this earth and stay. How many of you know Jesus is eternal God? He could have stayed. He could still be here today. But he did not come to stay. He came to go to the cross. See, it was a planned journey. And the Bible says here in verse number one that he says, The hour has come, glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. As Jesus was the eternal God, notice he's making reference here, before time began. Uh, this, this matter of what we call the virgin birth of Christ. It was all a part of God's plan. Look, look at what it says in verse number 5. The Bible says here, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had, notice past tense, had with thee, that means Jesus was with the Father, and then it says before what? The world was. That means before the, the six literal days of creation. Where was Jesus? Somebody tell me. He was in heaven with God, right? So when I look at this, it, this, this journey of Jesus, it was personal. Look what John writes all the way back in the beginning of his gospel record, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. You know what I say about that? Amen, right? He was with the Father. Look what Peter writes in 1 Peter 1.18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation. By the way, that's enough right there to tell you that you can't buy your salvation. 
because that's not how we're redeemed. The Bible says that we're not also redeemed by the traditions of your father. That means that it doesn't matter what church you belong to, what church your name is on, what role. It says we're not redeemed by the traditions of our fathers either, but we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now look at this verse. Who verily or truly was foreordained, read that next statement, before the foundation of the world. Even Peter says the same thing. And he says he, he was manifest, he was, he was made visible in these last times for you. Now when you look at that word, sometimes I, I like to, listen, we don't, we don't need to just change words that God gave us in the Bible. We just need to study them and understand them. Ask God, Holy Spirit, to help us understand. How many of you, be honest this morning, may not really fully understand the word foreordained? It's a word that I struggled with many years ago. And as I began to study it out, it's actually the word pro-gnosko. Now, the word gnosko is where we get our English word knowledge from, gnosko. For instance, people today, there are some people today that are agnostics. That means that they have no knowledge. They claim no knowledge of God. If you put an A on the beginning of a word, it changes the word moral to amoral, right? Not immoral, amoral, no morals, right? So when you look at this word here, foreordained, it literally means to God knew this before or beforehand. That's what foreordained means. See, before the world ever began, God says, listen, I've got a plan. Now, his plan wasn't for anything other than our redemption. That's what Peter's writing about. God knew that we were sinners and that we needed a Savior. And the Bible says here again that Peter writes, he foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Are you starting to see that this planned journey of Jesus to the cross, it was personal. God sent forth his son into the world. But not only is it personal, look at this. It is also a purposeful journey. There were two purposes, why Jesus came and why he went to the cross. And I want you to write them down. They're real simple. Number one, here's the first purpose, is he came to give eternal life. Now, who, who did Jesus come to give eternal life to? Can anybody answer that? Everyone. I'm glad I'm not talking to Calvinists this morning. Because God so loved the world see, God loves everyone. Jesus died for everyone. So understand that as, as Jesus came, the purpose of his journey, first of all, was to give eternal life. Look in your notes, 1 John 5, 20. We know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding. Now watch this, here it is. Here's the understanding that he gave to us, that we may know him. How many of you know him today? Okay, now watch this that we may know him that is true, love that word, and we are in him that is true, even in his son Jesus Christ, this is the true God and what? Eternal life. So Jesus, the Bible says God is telling us that Jesus is God, that he is 
that Jesus Christ, the true God, and that Jesus Christ is eternal life. Isn't that what Jesus told Martha and Mary when their brother had died? He says, I am the resurrection and what? The life. You know, you think about that. When I think about the purpose, why did Jesus have to go to the cross? Listen, do you know that the devil knew what it meant if Jesus would have went to the cross and died on the cross? How many of you, how many of you think you know? Because, listen, the devil knew that Jesus would be dying for the sins of the world. He knew that his blood, God's blood, would atone for the sins of the whole world. That's why the devil tried to tempt Jesus to get him to stop short of the cross. But Jesus had to go to Calvary. And so there was a purpose, actually two. Notice the second one. He not only came to give eternal life, write this one down. Jesus went to the cross to glorify the Father. He, went, he came, he went to Calvary to glorify God the Father. Look at verse number four, look at the words here. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. See, God gave the Son a job. God had a plan. And you know what Jesus did? He worked the plan. He did the work of him that sent him, the Bible says. And so when Jesus came, how many of you know that if you do, listen to me as Christians, if we do what God has given us to do as his children, how many of you know that not only does that please God, but it brings great glory to God? You know that. That's why our lives must be lived for God's purposes and not for ours. Look what it says here in John 12, 23. Jesus answering, saying, the hour is come. And he says here that the Son of Man should be glorified. Look, not only were we just read in John 17, but here in this verse, in John chapter number 12, Jesus, what is he doing? He's linking together the glorification of God and the crucifixion. They go hand in hand. See, when Jesus died on the cross, it glorified the Father. When Jesus took that journey, that purposeful journey, what did it do? It brought eternal life to all that would believe. So when we think about this, when Jesus came to this earth and he was born of a virgin, he lived a life on this earth, what did Jesus do while he was here? Well, his life on earth focused on God's mission for him. See, he knew what the purpose of his life being here. Now, you've been saved now for I don't know how many years. I've been saved for 35. The question that you should ask yourself this morning, thinking about Jesus and his journey, is does my life fulfill God's purpose? Am I doing what God would have me to do? God's purpose for my life. And, and for some it may be, I don't really know if I know what God's purpose is for my life, and, and that ought to be your prayer. God, show me what you would have me to do. And secondly is, does your life bring glory to God? Is your life, what you're doing, how you're living, uh, the impact that you're making on other people. Is your life glorifying God? Look at 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. Ye are bought with a price, therefore, read it together, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. See, our lives should... I, I, when you study the Apostle Paul, I really believe that's the way he lived his life, that God would get the glory 
out of everything that he did. I think that was, when I read verses like that Paul writes that he was free from the blood of all men. You know what that means? That means that Paul witnessed and talked to everyone he came into contact with about the Lord Jesus Christ. He could not have made that statement if he had not been doing that. How many of us, we are instructed, we are commanded to be witnesses. And how many of us walk past people every day? Listen, this pastor is included. We are not completely fulfilling God's purpose for our lives. See, the journey to the cross for Jesus, it was a planned journey. But watch this. In that planning, and all of us already know this, this just review this morning. His journey to the cross was a painful journey. I mean, you stop and think about it again. I can't really do justice to it, but this journey that Jesus took to the cross, you know, it took him through the Garden of Gethsemane, and it took him up the hill known as Calvary, Golgotha. Jesus experienced unbelievable pain. Notice that it was pain in the form of personal betrayal personal betrayal that must be the lord calling us now john 18 and verse number john 18 verse number five listen to this the bible records just one chapter over they answered him jesus of nazareth jesus saith unto him i am he and judas also which betrayed him stood with them and by the way the they and the them that was the band of men that were sent there by the chief priests and the pharisees which again, think about this, that was the religious leaders of the day. You know what that means? Religion doesn't care about Jesus. Because they sent Judas and this band of men to arrest Jesus. Now, was, did Jesus do anything wrong? Anything worthy of being arrested for? No. We just read, the Bible says he was without spot. And without blemish. We can't say that about ourselves. But when you think about this personal betrayal, Judas arrives in the garden with a band of Roman soldiers. Listen, you know what Judas was doing? Instead of standing with Jesus, he was really over here standing with Satan. He was being Satan's vessel. And, and the, look what the Bible records here as they arrive on the scene. Matthew writes this in his gospel record. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign. Anybody remember what the sign was? He kissed. I just, every time I think about what Judas did, he goes up to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came to give his life. Judas was with them all that time. He heard, he saw. And, and as he goes through this and he approaches Jesus with this mob, the Bible records, he says, whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he hold him fast. You know what Judas was saying? Hey, I don't want there to be any mistake about which one it is. Now, the truth was they all knew. Never a man spake like Jesus. There's never, ever been anyone that could even touch the hem of the garment of Jesus. You think about this, 
as this betrayal took place. It was a personal betrayal. Judas was in and among them, and he was one of the disciples. And people say, well, why did Jesus choose him? There's a lot of reasons. We don't necessarily have time to get into that this morning. But I'll tell you this, as, as you consider Judas's life, there's no doubt G Judas really was not a true disciple. He had never really believed that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus came to give his life so that we can have eternal life. Do you know what Judas was doing? He was pretending. There's a lot of people today who even call themselves Christians that pretend. They, they talk and they walk and they act like Christians, but they're really not. See, as I think about this painful journey, how many of you think that that, now again, it didn't surprise Jesus when Judas betrayed him. Remember what Jesus said when they were having the Last Supper and Jesus identified, he says, he that dips his hand in the sop with me, the same as he. And Jesus tried to, I remember how the rest of the disciples, they were clueless. You know, they, they, they didn't have any, they never suspected Judas because Judas was the one that, that held the bag. He was the one that was the treasurer. And oftentimes that was the person that was the most trusted person. So they, they never suspected. Matter of fact, that, that discussion in, in, the, in the upper room, that many of them said, Lord, is it I? They're like, is it me, Lord? Am I the one that's going to betray you? And Judas was among them, and, and yet he betrayed the Lord. A lot of people are just like Judas. They're, they act like, and they talk like, and they, they try to live like Christians, but they really aren't. And you had to know that, listen, even though Jesus knew that was coming, that had to hurt his heart. The betrayal. But notice another part of the painful journey was it was pain in the form of physical beating. All that Jesus went through, this angry mob, they took Jesus. And of course, he spent all night going from one, one trial to another, six in total. And Jesus was taken to Pilate. And the Bible records that Pilate found no fault. Boy, how, how nice that would be of us. The Pilate says, look, I, I can't find anything. But yet the Bible records this, that Jesus was actually beaten, it, it, even though there was no fault. He was beaten beyond, beyond comprehension. <clears throat> when I was thinking about this, uh, my mind went back to a verse that I read many years ago. We're very familiar with Isaiah 53, but Isaiah 52 actually records, listen to this, where the Bible says that his visage was so marred more than any man. His visage that we would use in our language, we would use the word form. When you looked at him, what you saw. And it said, the word marred, you know what our synonym word in the English language today? It would be something like disfigured. In other words, he was beaten beyond recognition. If you looked at Jesus, and I don't believe I'm embellishing this morning, I believe that you just saw a bloody mess. Jesus was physically beaten. Why? Because of us. He was treated unfairly. 
He was treated cruelly. You say, how in the world could people do this? Same reason people do it today, because their hearts were hardened. They didn't recognize who he was. There's a lot of people in the world today just like this. Look what the Bible records in John 19 in your notes. Pilate therefore took Jesus. Now keep this in mind as I read the rest of this. Pilate found no fault in him. But it says Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. What were they doing when they put a crown of thorns on his head and put a purple robe on him and and said, what were they doing? They were mocking him. And then the Bible says they smote him with their hands. Open or closed. They beat Jesus, our Savior, the Son of God. Now look at this, Pilate therefore went forth again, and he said unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I, here it is again, I find no fault in him. Jesus' journey, it was planned. Jesus' journey, see, people wonder why we still love the old cross, why we still sing about the cross. Because it was on that cross that our Savior gave His life for us. It's a symbol to us. Because God planned that journey. God knew that it would be a painful journey. But I want you to see the last part of it. Listen, this is is the best part. It was a powerful journey. When I think about Jesus on the cross, you go back to Pilate. If you study the Scriptures, I believe if I'm accurate... Four times, Pilate actually said, I find no fault in him. Four times, Pilate made that that, that statement that Jesus was innocent. But under the pressure of the people, what did Pilate do? Well, he was a real leader. He gave in to the people. The people asked for uh, something to be done, crucify him. He gave in. And what did Pilate do? He ordered Jesus to be crucified. So look, when you think about this journey being a powerful journey, how do you, Pastor, how do you say that it was a powerful journey? There's three ways. The first one is, I noticed the power of love. The Bible says in John 19, 17, he, he bearing his cross. Now listen, he might have carried that cross, but he was bearing that cross for us. That was our cross. We deserve to die that death. And the Bible says that he loved us. He went forth unto a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. Jesus' life wasn't taken from him. He willingly gave his life. The Bible says he laid his life down for us. The Bible records this. Look at Romans chapter 5. When we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for who? the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet what? What happened? Christ died for us. Look at John 15, 13. There's not a greater love than this, 
that a man laid down his life for who? Now, didn't the Bible just say we were sinners? Jesus loves sinners. He loves every one of us. I see the power of love. Listen, he looked beyond our hatred. We were enmity. We were enemies with God. And I see the power of love. He laid his life down. Ephesians 5, 2, look at this. The Bible instructs us, walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. I'm glad for the power. Listen, aren't you glad that God loved you enough to die for your sins? See, I see the power of love on this journey to the cross, but watch this. I also see from the cross the power of humility because what Jesus did was he humbly hung on that cross between two thieves. He was without sin. The Bible says in John 19, 18, uh, when, where they crucified him and two other with him, one on either side and Jesus in the midst. You say, why in the world would God do it that way? Well, listen, the Bible prophesied that this was going to take place. Look at, look at Isaiah 53, 12. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the what? Transgressors. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. See, Jesus came, the Son of God came to seek and to save that which was what? Lost. Who's lost? Everyone. We're all sinners. And I see the power of love, but I also see the power of humility that even though Jesus was treated unfairly, and certainly he was, you know what Jesus did as he was being untreated unfairly? He still pardoned our sins. There are seven sayings that Jesus uttered from the cross. The very first of those sayings, look in Luke 23, Jesus said, Father, what's those next two words? While they treated him the way they did. Jesus said, forgive them. Think about that the next time somebody wrongs you. Next time somebody does something to you. And by the way, no matter what it is that they do to you, I guarantee you it will not come even close to comparing to nailing you to a cross. And Jesus looked down at, at those that accused him, those that hated him, those that nailed him to that cross. And what did he say? Forgive them for they know not what they do. Whoa, such humility. The power of humility. But then notice I see from the cross the power of redemption. John 19, 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, here's the sixth saying that Jesus had. Not the last, but the second to last saying. What are these three words? It is finished. Now that's a neat word. Because when you look at that word, it comes from a verb that is the verb telos. The verb telos means to end something, to complete it. You know, if you're going to run a race, you, would, it, you finish that race, telos. Everybody understand? 
But that's not the word God used here. He used the word telos, but in the language that God gave his word originally, the word is the word tetelestai. Now, do you hear the word telos in there? Tetelestai is a word that is in what they call the perfect tense. If it's present tense, it's something that is going on right now. Okay, everybody understand present tense? I am teaching this class, present tense. What's neat about the, the language God chose to give his word in, this word tetelestai is not in the present tense. It's in what's called the perfect tense. Now, what's neat about the perfect tense is, is that it is a completed action in the past, but it is ongoing. It is something that continues. See, Jesus died on the cross. He said, it is what? So what was finished? God's redemption, right? The salvation plan. Remember this plan that God had, that Jesus would come, that he would give his life. Jesus said, listen, the hour has come. He died on the cross. He gave up the ghost. And the Bible says, Jesus said, it's finished. It's done. I've completed it. But watch this. It wasn't just for those that were there that day. It's still going on for us even today. Aren't you glad that it's perfect tense and not present tense? See, God still saves. Folks, if we don't believe that, we might as well close the doors and just go on and do something else instead of having church. But I love the fact that when you look at the power of the cross, you see this power of redemption that Jesus' death... It meant that the payment for our sins, yes, had been made, but not only that the payment had been made, but that the atonement was accomplished. Jesus said, it is finished. Now, listen, when, when you think about this story, and of course you think about Judas, and you watch this whole scene with Jesus hanging on the cross here. Listen, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be hard for those in that day to think when you look at this picture that Judas won. That Jesus lost. Are you with me this morning? When you look at this picture right here. The Bible says, look at it, Matthew 12, 40. As Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. But the journey of Jesus didn't end in the tomb because up from the grave he rose. You see, I think about this journey. Yes, it was to the cross, but remember, Jesus came to glorify his Father. He came to finish the work. If Jesus would have died on the cross, it would not have been enough. Jesus had to complete. He had to rise from the grave. And then he applied his blood he atoned for the sins of the whole world and when i think about this journey that jesus took look we will never experience what jesus did but we are going to have some trials we are going to have some temptations along the way experience some pain but can i tell you listen although the journey for us too may be painful at times it's going to be a powerful ending you know why because heaven is real See, we have something to look forward to. And can I just encourage you as we finish this Sunday school hour, 
that when you think and I think about what Jesus endured, and the Bible says he endured such contradiction against himself, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. If Jesus was willing to endure the cross, then shouldn't we be willing to endure our journey of faith and be happy about what God is doing in our lives? I hope that you're willing to endure the journey that God has given to you. Aren't you glad for Jesus this morning? What a great reminder this morning. Jesus' journey to the cross was planned. It was painful. But in the end, it was powerful. Why? Because of his love, his humility, and his redemption. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Pray that you would bless, Lord, each one of us as we should always endeavor, never get too far from the cross. Always be thankful for the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the love that he gave to us. I've thought many times about Jesus suffering there, all that he went through for me. Such a humble Savior. But Lord, we are truly thankful this morning for your redemption, that it is complete, that we don't have to add anything to it. We are so thankful this morning for Jesus. And it says, in his precious name we pray, amen.